Welcome to the Talking Immigration Podcast. Immigration is a complex issue. Most of us have strong emotions, but don't actually know the details of how immigration actually works. In this podcast, I interview immigration experts to teach us about the types of immigration, limits, costs, enforcement, and more. I'm Katarina, your host. Let's talk immigration. Hi, everyone. Today, we welcome back Michael Bailey, an immigration attorney specializing in employment immigration, currently with Ogletree Deacons, one of the largest labor and employment law firms. Previously, Michael was a guest on the show to introduce some of the basics of work visas or immigration employment visas, and especially about the H-1B visas. If you are interested in learning more about just some of the basics of work visas, I invite you to go back to episode six to hear our conversation on that. So welcome back, Michael. Michael is going to talk with us about a mostly unknown but very important part of employment immigration, and those are labor tests or labor certifications. So what is labor certification and why exactly is it important? Sure. There's several different types of employment-based green cards or, or green card paths or processes that somebody can get a green card through their employer. And um, the main way is through labor certification. And labor certification is a labor market test that the employers must perform before they can move forward with the green card process. And so where does that fit in in the different types of work visas that are available? Would you use a labor market or a labor certification for all types of work visas? It's not all types necessarily. There's certain, um, like for example, if you transfer on an L1A as a manager, then you might pursue a different path to a green card, a multinational manager process, which skips the labor market test and goes straight to the I-140 immigrant petition. But for your general employee, you're going to do this labor market test before the, before the sponsorship um, can proceed with the immigration service. So this is a, a Department of Labor process. Um, and this is mainly for permanent-based visas, right? Yeah. So how it works usually is this labor market test is is very time-consuming. And so what employers will do typically is have their employees who are foreign workers start on a temporary work visa like an H-1B or an L-1 or other types and start because that's much faster to get them into the country and start working and then once they're here working, then they'll start on the labor market tests and go through the PERM labor certification process. Okay, so is it correct to say that labor certifications are basically a legal safety net, a measure to make sure that permanent positions in the U.S. aren't filled by immigrants when they could otherwise be filled by American citizens? Yeah, some of the policy objectives for labor certification are to to make sure that foreign labor is supplementing our labor force in the United States. So supplementing it in in an area where there is a shortage and also at the same time, protecting the wages of U.S. workers to make sure that companies aren't hiring foreign workers just because they're willing to take a lower wage to get into the country. So those are two primary policy uh, objectives of the program. And you mentioned this is all through the Department of 
labor. And so you're not just taking a company's word that they couldn't find anyone else, but this is an a legitimate process that they have to go through. Exactly. And the company, so what the Department of Labor requires is that first the company has to get a prevailing wage determination. That's a preliminary application with the Department of Labor to determine what is the requisite wage for the job. And the company has to pay the higher of the employee's actual salary or whatever that wage comes back at. And um, an analyst at the Department of Labor looks at that and determines the category, the level, and then there's a wage associated with that for that given region of the United States. And then after the prevailing wage determination, the company is required to advertise the position as if it's trying to fill the position. Okay, but the position is already filled by the foreign national. There, it's just that the company is using is it's a labor market test, and so the company advertises the position as if it is going to be filled to see if there's any qualified U.S. workers out there who could take the job. And if there is, then then um, just one qualified U.S. worker, then the company cannot proceed with its sponsorship for the green card at that time. Oh, interesting. So just only one applicant for that position would disqualify the current temporary immigrant who is using who is in that position from proceeding with a green card to permanently fulfill that position. Right. They wouldn't be able to proceed with the process, so they would have to suspend the process for some period of time, and then they could try the process again um, at a later point. But, um, you know, just to differentiate, though, that usually doesn't mean that the foreign worker has to go home or is fired from their position or anything. It just means that the green card process is suspended for some period of time. Good clarification. Um, what types of businesses use this labor certification? Is it pretty general or just any business who would want to sponsor for a green card? You know, it's, it is, it is general and it can be any type of position, but, um, you know, from the employers know from trying to fill the position, how likely it is that they're going to get a qualified U S worker through a labor certification process. So if there's like, um, an abundance of U S workers out there that say have gone through, um, maybe a downsizing or something that they're not going to be successful with their labor certification, but, Typically, what we see is the labor certification process heavily used by engineering firms or technology firms. Before we move on, because I'm curious about um, of the advertising process, but what are some of those costs of doing a labor certification? Like, how much more does it cost? What's what's the hiring, the petition? I assume the company needs to pay for a lawyer in addition to probably paying for those fees through the Department of Labor and maybe also immigration? Yeah, so the sponsorship process is quite costly for firms who en engage in it. Generally, you're going to hire a firm like mine and professionals to handle the process because it's very technical and it has very specific timing and requirements. And, um, and so you would hire somebody like us to do it. You can certainly have your own staff and train them up, but um, you just got to have people who know what they're doing because it's not like 
we can get into this some more, um, but it, it's, it's not like you're advertising your just for regular adver- or your regular jobs. There's very specific content and very specific timing in these advertisements that has to be there. And there's also legal posting notices, kind of like your OSHA legal postings that you have to have at your work site. So it's it's not just like you can throw up any ad and it'll work. And so you hire a firm and there's costs associated with that. And then there's ads that you have to run and there's costs associated with that. And then there's filing fees with the USCIS and uh, other legal fees that you're going to incur. So generally, we tell people, um, you know, twenty to thirty thousand dollars is what you need to allocate for your budget for uh, to get somebody from start to finish through the green card process. And just to clarify, USCIS is United States Citizenship and Immigration Service. Okay, and so you don't end up paying the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor doesn't charge any fees right now for labor certification, but there are some um, part of immigration reform is they've considered charging fees for it. So there may be fees in the future, but right now there are not. Okay, so let's get to some of the the meat. So first you said, so generally you have a position, you have a temporary worker in that position, a foreign national in that position, and you decide that they seem like a good worker, you're fairly confident that they that position can't be filled by an American citizen. And so you decide to invest this money in trying to hire them permanently through the process of getting them a green card, correct? Right. And you start with working with the Department of Labor to get the wage determination, which fulfills that piece of making sure that you're not going to pay this foreign national less than is their due and and That's thus, right. like potentially lower the wages of everyone else around them. Um, and then after that, you mentioned, then you start advertising the position. So what are those specific content and timing requirements? How does that, how does that work? Well, one other thing real quick before we, before I, I talk about that is that another okay. thing is you've got, when you have somebody here on a temporary work visa, they're temp, that is just temporary. So they're going to run out of time. So if you're saying to yourself, this is a good worker and we want them to stay permanently, then you you almost have to do this green card sponsorship so that you can ensure that they're able to work beyond the, for example, six-year limitation uh, for an H-1B. So you engage in this process and you do the prevailing wage, like you said, and then um, you, you start the labor market test by running um, – there's required ads, like for example, each state has its own unemployment agency, and each unemployment agency has a, a workforce agency website where they advertise jobs. So all 50 states have this, and so you have to run a 30-day ad on that unemployment website called the State Workforce Agency ad. So there's a 30-day ad there. And then you also have to run two Sunday advertisements in the major newspaper of the area. And in addition to that, you have to take for professional positions like your H-1B type of positions, you have to do take three additional steps of recruitment and you have 10 different options. And those options are you can do a, a job fair you can post um, an advertisement on your own employer website 
You can use a job search website like Monster or Indeed. Um, you can use your own company's employee referral program and make it a part of an advertisement as part of that. You can use a local or ethnic newspaper. You can use on-campus recruiting at, at a school. You can advertise with a trade or professional organization or with a private employment firm. And you can advertise at a um, campus placement office for the school. And then finally, you can advertise with a radio or a television ad. So you have to choose three options out of those 10 and in addition to the Sunday ads and the state workforce agency ad. And you had mentioned even if one application comes in from a U.S. citizen, that basically pauses this whole process. That's right. And so if you're hiring just for one position and a U.S. worker applies, then there's no requirement that you have to hire the U.S. worker and there's no requirement that you have to fire your foreign worker or they have to go home or anything, but you cannot proceed with the green card process. It's a it's a labor market test and to see if there's any qualified U.S. workers for that position in that given area for the given time. Is there a set number of days that the employer has to wait to hear back? Yes. So there is specific timing. Once you start the uh, advertisement, you must file the labor certification application within 180 days. And then also after the ads have concluded, you have, there's a 30 day quiet period or cooling off period. Some people call it where you cannot file your case. So there creates this window of time for filing and in the cooling off or the quiet period is a period of time designed to let any kind of residual resumes flow into the employer if there's um, any kind of lag between the, the dates that the the ads ran and in the time when the applicant sent in their application. Okay. So that's about seven months. Is that correct? So the entire process, um, it can... it. It depends on, you know, how aggressive you want to be with it. But generally speaking, yes, you're going to spend at least seven months on the process just to just to get your prevailing wage determination and to do your labor market test with the ads and have your cooling off period before you can just file the application with the Department of Labor. So that's seven, seven months. And then there might be some time on the front end that you spend gathering information and that could go to eight or nine months, and that's just to filing. And then once you file the case, the, the case will be on, on file with the Department of Labor for a period of time, and that could, be, that, that could vary from, I've seen it as low as two months, and I've seen it as long as a year. So right now it's about four or five months, which is not too bad. And so within that long, um, variable amount of time, you would hear back from the Department of Labor, and either your request would be approved or denied? That's right. That's right. I assume they would only deny your request if if they saw that there was problems with your application or there seemed something fishy with your advertising or what would be some reasons that the Department of Labor would deny your application barring citizens who would be applying for it? 
Well, they would they there's a at the end of the process after you've done your labor market test, you complete an application form and submit it online, and the application form is very detail intensive, and so. If you are off with some of the details, you can get denied for that reason. Or if you set forth requirements, for example, and say these, the requirements for this position are, say, a master's degree and two years of experience, and then you don't document the, that your applicant has the full two years of experience, or maybe the experience involves XYZ skill set and they haven't documented you know, the X and the Y, they only have Z. So you have to document not only the minimum requirements for the position, but you have to show that your your foreign national candidate has uh, met those requirements prior to joining the offered position and prior to filing the labor certification. So if you haven't documented that properly or if the foreign national otherwise doesn't have the requirements, that could be denied for that reason. Um, another common reason for denial is the timing issue. Like if you're filing outside your window of opportunity or prior to your window of opportunity, you're filing and you can't file in the quiet period, for example, or you can't file after the 180 days expires from the from the advertisement date. So those are common reasons why uh, a case might get denied. And you mentioned that you have to talk specifically about your specific candidate that you want. And so this whole process is for a specific candidate. And if that candidate, that foreign national that you have temporarily, for whatever reason, doesn't meet your listed requirements, that's another reason this whole process would stop. Yes. And you're, you're usually really careful about that in the beginning, that if you're going to set forth these requirements, then you're going to make sure that they have them. You know, no doubt they're qualified for the job by virtue of the fact that they're actually performing the job. So it's really more uh, a strategy and drafting issue where you need to make sure that you've really clearly delineated what the minimum requirements for the position are, and then you've clearly documented that the foreign national has those requirements. So it's a little bit of um, your proverbial square peg in the round hole situation where in, in normal recruiting and advertising for jobs, you're looking for a maximum qualified applicant. You know, you want to, you have um, certain things that you're looking for, and then certain things are maybe flexible. Like you might say three to five years of experience, or you might say, here's a bunch of preferred qualifications, or you might have like an ideal candidate sketched out that shows the qualifications for somebody who would be ideal for the position. But in perm labor certification, it turns that analysis on its head and says, we want the minimum qualifications for the job. Okay, so the, the legal requirement is that the company sets forth the minimum qualifications that somebody would have, must have to perform the job duties in a reasonable manner. So that's minimum qualifications for a reasonable performer. That is not typical when you're trying to recruit, where you're looking for maximum qualifications for an excellent performer. So it's, it's a little different. It's so in, in that regard, what I do is I try, I work with my employers and the managers and I walk them through this analysis and tell them this, that, Hey, this is, you know, this is different from what you're used to. We need to start thinking in terms of minimums instead of maximums and then kind of walk them through the analysis and 
really document what those minimum qualifications are. And you said the candidate could not have acquired those any of those minimum certifications while they were doing their temporary work at that company. Why not? That's right. So the government considers that if, hey, if you're going to hire somebody to perform a job, they can't have, you know, gained that experience with you. You can't say, well, we hired this person two years ago and all of the skills that they gained during those two years while they're on H-1B are the skills we're looking for. The government considers that to be like training. And their position on that is that if you're willing to train a, a foreign worker, you, you can train a U.S. worker just the same. So you can't okay. use these skills that they've developed during that two-year period. You have to look at the period of time prior to joining and ask yourself, what are the minimum requirements for them to join this position at that time? And what minimum, what minimum skill set did the, did the employee have at that time? And then can document. So that, that really takes care of a lot of the potential issues with maybe a company who's trying to hire a specific person who might be a foreign national versus really trying to be open to hiring any certified American citizen. That's right. And also uh, there's a prohibited practice called, uh, we in the industry, we call it tailoring, where the government says you're not allowed to tailor these minimum requirements as you're, as you're documenting these minimal requirements. You're not allowed to tailor them to the background of the foreign national so that way nobody could qualify for the job but them, right? Like that's, that's another illegal practice. It's prohibited. Okay, so say everything works out and you get approval through the Department of Labor. And at that point, what's the employer's next step? At that point, the process goes from the Department of Labor to the Immigration Service, and you apply for your I-140 immigrant petition. So in family-based immigration, you've got an I-130 immigrant petition where it documents the family relationship, but in with an I-140, it's an employment-sponsored immigrant petition where you document the circumstances of employment. And so you take you get an official document from the Department of Labor and you take that document and you file form I140 with the USCIS the US Citizenship Citizenship and Immigration Service in the I140 form it documents the category so it says that this is a category requiring labor certification that's going to be employment based second preference or third preference EB2 or EB3 and the form basically says look, we've done our due diligence. Here's our approved labor certification document showing that we did what we were supposed to do through the Department of Labor in terms of our labor market test and the results. And the employer confirms its commitment to the sponsorship of the individual and shows that it has the ability to pay the offered wage associated with the perm, the labor certification case. And then on that basis, the applicant, the foreign national, is allowed to apply for a green card saying, I'm entitled to this green card by virtue of this I-140 immigrant petition. So the immigrant petition is a, is a petition filed by an employer. They're the client. They're the one saying, making the motion to the government. And the foreign national is the beneficiary of that petition. And then the, the foreign national makes the green card application themselves as a client as an application for the green card on the basis of the I-140. Does that make sense? Yeah, interesting that they are allowed to apply for themselves through this process. And then how long might that take for that to get back to somebody? Well, the good news is for an I-140 of this type, there's a premium processing option. So you can 
you go through regular processing, which would take about six to eight months, or you can pay an extra $2,500 to get premium processing and have the case adjudicated in 15 calendar days. So it's a oh, big benefit yeah. that a lot of people are willing to pay for. Sure. Um, how frequently is this process approved? So it seems like it is quite a process to get a green card for an employee that you are trying to hire who's a foreign national. Does it happen pretty frequently or how many could you give us a number? How many were awarded in 2019? I'm assuming or 2020 wouldn't be a good average year. Um, but in 2019, how many of these I-140 employment applications were approved? Well, the Department of Labor issues its um, performance data on um, a periodic basis, and they published that they received about 61,000, just under 61,000 PERM labor certification applications in 2019. And the vast majority of those are approved. And you know, keep in mind that if you go through perm labor certification and you find that U.S. worker, you're not even going to you're not even allowed to file an application. So that means that there's of that sixty one thousand, there's more than sixty one thousand labor market tests out there that, and some of them have just not been successful. So okay. you, your your application comes at the end of the process. And can you compare that? So sixty one thousand of these labor certifications that likely are approved. How does that compare to the number of visas in other categories? Or is 61,000 a lot or not very many? Um, 61,000 is, um, you know, I'm not sure if that is, is a lot or not. Um, it seems like a lot, but there's only 140,000 employment-based green cards issued each year, whereas the number for um, family-based is much higher. So of that 140,000, that includes 61,000 uh, labor certifications minus those that were denied. And then that includes the dependents of those people who were who filed labor certifications. So if you have a primary applicant who the company did labor certification for and that person has a spouse and two children, then you're going to have four. That's going to account for four employment-based green cards. And then the employment-based green cards not, includes not just the labor certification cases, but also the other employment-based cases like um, your multinational manager process, which skips the labor certification process. Um, and the trade-off there is you have a much more rigorous I-140 immigrant petition and some of the other categories that skip labor certification. And that's the trade-off is you have a much more intensive um, I-140 immigrant petition. I know you're on the facilitation side of this process, but as we kind of wrap this up, can you talk briefly about some of the problems or critiques of this process? I assume that like any piece of immigration practice and law, there are controversial aspects. What, what are some of the critiques of this current process? Well, you know, with every given process, any given government program, there's always issues with quality control. And so the government has it has quality control measures set up throughout. But, you know, there's fraud is always a concern or there's been criticism of of firms that don't recruit the same way for their um, labor certification. Like, for example, they say maybe you have a mail-in resume process, whereas 
your regular resume process and you submit it online through an employer portal. Now, that's a criticism, but there's really good reasons for doing these things separately. In fact, like I said, you can't use your regular ads for perm labor certification because your perm labor certification is, is requires you to, to uh, advertise only those minimum requirements. So you really can't use your ads where it's, it says all the preferred requirements and your ideal candidate and all the marketing material that you have in, in an ad. So you end up with a almost like a parallel recruiting process, one for your regular jobs that you're trying to fill and one for perm labor certification. And so, you know, that that has been criticized by some people in saying that, no, you've got one system for foreign workers and one system for, for everybody else. And my response to that is that it's it's that way because for a reason. And the reason is because of the regulations and the law. And so you know, and compliance. And so very good reasons why you have to, you, in my opinion, have to do it this way. Um, you have to have this separate tract. So there's criticisms of that. And then, you know, you could, if you were unscrupulous, you could, you know, there's things you could do, but the government has quality control measures in place. For example, audits and notice of filing postings that go up at the work site and um, other quality control measures to um, help prevent fraud and abuse of the system. And those filing... When you do the ads, you also have to do a notice of filing. Um, that's, that means you have to put up at the work site for 10 consecutive business days a notice that says the company is engaging in labor certification for this type of a job and has some of the job details on it and the wage as well. And also has a caption that says that if you you know if you have any questions about this process or if you see anything you know illegal going on or anything shady for lack of a better legal term, you you can contact the Department of Labor. So that sort of legal posting notice is part of the advertisement. We do it at the same time as the advertisements, and it's okay. it has some of the same elements of the advertisements, but it is a it does serve a different function rather than to advertise the position. It is to put the U.S. workers on notice of this process. So that's one really important quality control measure the Department of Labor has. Are there any other details about labor certifications that would be helpful for someone to know? Labor certification is is a complex process, and it's it's a costly process, and it's been a big part of our employment-based immigration system for decades now and it's considered one of the primary tools of the department of labor in ensuring that we are maximizing our usage of foreign labor to the advantage of the economy and the u.s country um like i said to the policy objectives being to channel foreign labor into sectors of the economy where there's a shortage of labor and to not suppress the wages of U.S. workers in the meantime. So it is. it has been a cornerstone of our immigration processes, and um, it looks like it's going to be around for a long time. Um, other countries have similar processes as well, and it looks like the Biden administration might take some moves to expand labor certification to some other opportunities. 
Well, Michael, thank you so much again for sharing information that was mostly new to me and I hope was interesting to our listeners. If people want to learn more about you or your firm, where can they find that information? Sure. You can um, learn more about me at ogletreedeacons.com or ogletree.com, or you can find me on Facebook as well. I have my own immigration page where I post interesting articles and current events on immigration topics. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Immigration. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with family or friends and leaving a rating or review so more people can learn about this important issue. Have a great week, everyone, and let's keep talking immigration. Immigration.